You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Go for it, Carl. Thank you. Okay, good morning again. It's good to be with you. Um, Let me introduce myself a little bit more fully personally so you know who I am. As you can tell from my beautiful accent, I'm from a place called Romford in Essex. Anyone else here from Romford? Anyone been there on holiday? Well, there's a reason for that, isn't there? So, and I'm I'm what you would call a first-generation Christian. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Um, My dad was a cop. He was in the flying squad and regional crime squad. He was a proper 70-year-old school detective. And my mum, my mum was a dressmaker, and then left work and raised us. We had a proper sort of Essex East End upbringing, and I never went to church. The only reason I went to church, to cut a very long story short, is because I found out that there was a girl going to a church that I fancied. It's like a cosmic ambush. That's what it was, and it was like lured me in. And I asked her first, the first time I ever went there, I asked her out, and she said, "I only go out with Christians." I said, "I am one." And she said, no, she said, it means you've got, you know, you've met Jesus. And I said, well, I have. Definitely, I'm sure I've met him. You know, I was literally like that. Because like, back in the day, we were all C of E. We always used to say, I'm C of E. You know, what religion are you? C of E. But of course, I was nothing. You know, I wasn't a Christian at all. In fact, the first Bible I ever got given was by Gideon at the school. But, you know, school's work actually is so important. But this guy gave me Gideon's Bible when I was 12. The little red ones. The little red ones. And he said, I'll only give you this Bible if you promise to read it every day. But he was so scary, I probably agreed. We were all sitting on the floor, this massive bloke with grey hair and a big power suit. He shook his hand. He said, do you promise to read the Bible every day? I went, yes, sir. You know, to the Bible. And I did read it every day. Now, in front of the Bible, there was a little help section where to read if you're sad, lonely, depressed, all that kind of stuff. There's no way to read if you're really happy, actually. But I used to read that a bit. But it's true. But I read it. But then my mate told me it was made of cigarette paper. So I have to confess that I smoked my first ever Bible. That was the only thing I ever did to do with the Bible. Such a non-Christian environment. So like... But then, so I'm 18, that's what exactly what I did, like totally rebellious. Now I am 18, saying to this girl, I am a Christian. Well, of course I'm not. I'm absolutely not. You know, you can have this remnant thing that you see, but it's actually not true at all. Never set foot in a church, ever. But then this guy preached the gospel. night I responded, about six months later, a man preached a full-on gospel of Jesus Christ. He died and rose again. I signed up to join the army. He was an ex-paratrooper, become a Methodist minister. And he preached the message of Jesus Christ. And I, I came forward, gave my life to Christ, crying my eyes out. It's a much longer story. I stood on the steps of the church that night, looked across the road at a dying little bush shrub thing and uh, I had to say to people earlier it was a shrub but I ripped my top lip off when I was 15 I I get a lisp on some words so it was a small bush not a small shrub which I can't say properly and uh, and I just burst into tears looking at this little tree bush thing and my mate standing next to me saying why are you crying I went it's 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 leaves and he was like what are you talking about I went they're green I'm going like, they're green leaves. Because <laughs> I'd never seen it before. It's like walking out of a black and white picture into a full-on HD, 
Technicolor picture. That's what we used to call it back in the day, wasn't it? Technicolor. But that's what it was like. And I remember driving home that night looking at you know, all sorts of people, fat people, thin people, black people, white people, driving back through on Judge and Wanford to get home. I had tears streaming down my face. Do you know why? Because I'm looking at people I used to think were targets. And now I'm thinking, no, these are God's kids. Now I've got to tell them. I've got to tell them. It consumed me, actually absolutely consumed me and actually since that day it's been a burning passion of mine to tell people about Jesus Christ that's what's carried me to this point here actually I mean I'm not good at a lot but I'm enthusiastic and I'm just like passionate about it and I think God just loves that he loves passion enthusiasm and faith but you can't just say it you can't just stand on a platform and have loads of funny stories. You've actually got to live it, haven't you? We've got to live this Christian manifesto. Because when these, when these young people, and there will, by faith, be thousands of young people across Coventry coming to Christ, they're going to come in here, and what do they need to see? Full-on, passionate, switched-on, beatitude-living, kingdom-living people of God who just love Jesus and love them and able to put up with their weird ways and you'll have kids who have also smoked a Bible you know and we've got to think I'm oh, just going to love them and love them we're going to see them come through and get discipled and all that kind of stuff aren't we that's what we're really going to need to have so I want to talk to you about that I want to talk to you about what it means to really live for Christ and not not just you know get enthusiastic in the worship but in our daily interactions we've got to work out what does it mean when I'm at work and when I'm dealing with my neighbour and when I get up on Monday morning or even when you're trying to get your car out of the car park hands up anyone who's been frustrated trying to get out of a church car park that can happen I've seen full on rows I've seen people praying in the spirit in church and then get out of the car park and have a go at someone it happens, doesn't it? Somehow we've got to learn how to live this life. So if you've got your Bible with you, turn with me to Romans 12. And there's a powerful manifesto in Romans 12 for what it means to live for Jesus. And Romans 12, it's classic verses, begins with, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't, don't conform, the Bible says, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you're able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. But do you notice, it, when you read these verses, it says, be transformed. Like, we have to engage with this. Like we, we have to choose, be grafted into the vine, be holy, be pleasing to your Father in heaven. Like, there is a choice. God pours out his spirit, but we have to step towards our Father, don't we, and make godly decisions. And so these are very pragmatic verses. And it really kicks off when you get to verse 9, and you have this incredible manifesto. If you ever wanted to know what does it mean to live a kingdom lifestyle, you've got it right here. It's so powerful. Let me read it to you. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, the Bible says. Hate it. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. I, I often ponder on this. A lot lately, actually, I've been pondering on these verses a lot and I've been writing a lot of stuff down about living the Beatitudes. And Just to pause on that bit, 
you know, my wife, Karen, because I married a girl I fancied, and we've got two older daughters now, and it's, God's really taken us on an adventure. It's been amazing. But actually, Karen is really radical. You, you, she's really quiet and unassuming, but just radically lives this Christ-centered lifestyle. And she's recently been doing this thing called Elder Friends, where I live in Chesterfield, or I call it Ches Vegas, where, where she, she, she cares for people who have no, no friends or family who are elderly. That's, that is a big problem in our culture now. A lot of very lonely elderly people actually have no access to services because their pension income is too high, but actually trapped and very alone. So this guy's got no family, nearly 90, but he is also the world's grumpiest older man. When he, he really is very, very grumpy. But my wife just loves him and serves him and she does her shopping for him and goes and cleans his home up and, you know, cleans him up and like, like several times a week takes him for drives out into the Peak District and t- buys him a pub lunch and stuff. And do you know what he does in return? Honestly, don't tell anyone, but he's a bit of a moaner. I mean, he moans. I mean, like, if I take him shopping around, it's like, I didn't want that sort of pasta. I didn't say I wanted that pasta, I wanted that pasta. And I'm like, because I'm, I'm a bloke with lots of testosterone. And I'm like, eat the pasta I bought you. Eat the pasta. But Karen's like, oh, I'll go and, I'll go and change it for you. Do you know what she does? She loves him and loves him and loves him. Because we say things, don't we, like, I love him, but I don't like him. You ever done that? I love him, I don't like him. I was reading this and I felt God really challenged me. But I've noticed it with Karen. She loves him and she loves him and loves him. And when he dies, her heart will break. And, and she, he's never said thank you to my wife. He's never made a gesture back. But her heart will break because when you serve people and you really love people and you break your hearts with people, it does something to you. It's a spiritual thing, actually. It's what we are called to do. If we're indwelt by the Spirit, that's how we live. Be devoted to one another. Honour one another. You know, if you have a trouble with comparisons, you ever wrestle with jealousy, is there a good way to deal with that? Say brilliant things about that person publicly. And God will just take it from you. It's such a beautiful set of verses, but so challenging. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Radical kingdom hospitality isn't, isn't having a cheese fondue and a nice bottle of wine. No, that's a nice thing, possibly, back in the mid-70s. But actually what it means is be prepared to be radically inconvenienced. Be welcoming to people. Open your home up to the stranger. Volunteer a spare bedroom. You know, if God's really going to move across the city, that might be a need. Like, yeah, we're going to plant loads of Eden teams and be bringing in workers into the city from across the place. We're going to need that. Radical hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Like people from Romford. Like me, like Essex boys. Thanks for welcoming me amongst you. Don't get a welcome everywhere, us Essex people, you know. Don't be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. 
For he's written, he's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. That's not the way of the world, is it? Have you ever had a nasty email or a letter and you've crafted a response? Have you ever done that? Like, and your voice changes. It goes from being like this to, like, yeah. Like, inside your spirit's like a little gremlin. It's like, and it's like you're getting a sweaty about it and, like, it consumes all your thoughts. Have you ever had that? You lot have never had that, have you? Why is it I get that every week and you don't? But, like, you get that thing, it's like, and what the Bible's saying is, give it to heaven. You let heaven decide. That's the way to be at peace, isn't it? You think that about me? You told a bunch of people that about me. I'll just give it to heaven. That's a peaceful way to be. My tip is give it to heaven and have a tub of Hagen dazs You feel brilliant. That's the way to do it. I know it doesn't say that in a word, but it works for me. In doing this, you heap burning coals on his head. That is not a side benefit. Don't do it for that. Do it because it's right. Do not be overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. What an amazing manifesto. You could almost end the sermon there, can you? You're thinking now, please do. But he's such an amazing kingdom manifesto. I used to have a ministry that specialised in reaching men, uh, particularly really men from working class backgrounds, uh, with the message of Jesus. And it actually, the idea spread and went a little bit global, which sounds glamorous, but it really wasn't. You're sort of dashing around the economy and staying in cheap places and really, you know, burning the diary up and just wanting to be at home cuddling my wife, actually, because I'm a bit of a homeboy, really, but the Lord was just calling us to travel. And so we did that. And one time, my wife was my PA. She used to be a PA in the civil service. She booked me to go all across the Netherlands, starting in Amsterdam. So I flew in in Schiphol, then went all across the Netherlands on this tour. It was quite a complex bit of work to organise. But I was away for a bit of time actually, meeting all these guys in the Netherlands who wanted to you know, help build the church up there. And then I got back to Skipo Airport and I read my diary, and my beautiful wife had booked me to fly back from Skipo to East Midlands and literally only have enough time to drive home, have a shower, change her clothes, and then drive back out to speak at a men's curry night in a place called Barrow-on-Saw. You ever heard of Barrow-on-Saw? One person. <laughs> exactly. There's, in Barrow-on-Saw is a pub and a curry house and a canal and a few houses and some ferrets. That's it. There's nothing else. So I'm like, I'm all chippy inside. I'm feeling like, ugh, don't want to do that. You ever have those moments where you just want to go home from work and put your feet up? Have some Hagen dazs Just rest. Rest. Have you ever had that? Watch, watch a bit of nonsense on telly. And I thought, I've been away. Why? I said to Karen, like, why have you booked this? Like, why? I don't want to do this. She said, because I prayed and felt it was the Lord. Thought, oh, what a terrible answer. You just feel like the weight of your sin and grumpiness upon your face, don't you? Just awful. I had to say, actually, in the first meeting, um, my face is naturally quite miserable. It doesn't mean I haven't got the joy of the Lord. It means I'm from Romford. So you just like, when I take my glasses off, it's even worse. It's not good, is it? 
I have quite a miserable face, really. But I've got deep in the joy of the Lord. Just so you know, don't come up to me afterwards and ask if there's a problem. There's not. I'm very happy. Man at peace. I'm feeling the joy of the Lord today. It just doesn't often hit there. I'm trying to smile. Sometimes I'm trying to smile. It looks even worse. In fact, I, my, my wife actually did get a text from the vicar's wife when I was out walking my aged German shepherd dog. And this, this text said, is Carl okay? I've just seen him walking the dog and he looks like he wants to kill someone. And... <laughs> And my wife text back said that means he's very happy. It's his relaxed face. That does, that does happen. But on this occasion, I, my relaxed face did look murderous and I felt murderous. But Karen said it was the Lord. So I got in my car and I drove to Baron Saw. When I got to Baron Saw, the curry house was much smaller. I think this section's grown since earlier. It's, everything's multiplying. But it was about three quarters of the size or less of that block of chairs and uh, and I turned up, I'm always early for everything, but the organiser was there. I said to the organiser, how many people are turning up? And he went, oh, about 22, I think. I went, oh, okay. I said, how many uh, non-Christian guys are coming? He said, one or two, possibly. I said, what do you want me to do? He said, preach the gospel. I said, well, most of them are Christians, aren't they? He preach the gospel, he said. I went, okay, I'm up for that. How long have I got? About 10 minutes, he said. I thought, oh, like, I'm getting worse. I know it's hard to believe, but inside, I'm like, everything's like, oh, 10 minutes. So I said to him, I thought, let's try and redeem this. What have we got for the menu? And he went, chicken booner and a naan bread. I said, what if you don't like chicken booner? He said, you can have a naan bread. So I'm like, literally. That literally is a conversation. So I think, well, I don't like chicken booner. So I have a Diet Coke and a naan bread. Anyway, um, I have a little bit. And this, my mates turn up called Paul Gask. I called him Gasky who was an area coordinator in the Midlands where Baron Saw fell for Christian Vision for Men. And he comes in. He's, he looks like a bulldog. He's a very sort of balding, aggressive, ex-counter-terrorist police officer. In with him comes another bloke who's got um, a non-biological baldy, uh, deliberate skinhead, uh, looking very aggressive, very tall, very big, I'm quite short, same width as height, but he's very big. And, and, and uh, he sat down, and I said to him, hello, mate. And he went, mm. like, literally. So when you're like, Gasky went, you're all right, mate. I went, great. Chicken booner, naan bread. Organiser says, do your bit. So I stand up, and I do a straight down the line gospel preach. Check the time. Try and be quite accurate with time and people give me a time. So it's honour the event. Ten minutes. Sat down. Said to the bloke, what do you think of the talk? And he went, <sighs> literally like, <sighs> Gasky went, yeah, good mate. So I oh, get a, sitting there with a Diet Coke, thought I'll get a can of drink for the journey home. Went to the bar, tiny little bar. So can I have a Coke for the journey home? And this bloke follows me. He looks like Jaws the Bond villain. He's, like, uh, he's, a, he's a big lump. He's a big unit, this fella. And he, came, and he stood over me in front of everyone. And he said, his exact words, you're Jesus. Like, everyone's backed off. You know, like, it's like the Wild West in Barrow on Saw. I'm a man alone. No one else is there. <laughs> and they're all listening. But you're Jesus. Not Jesus, but you're Jesus. He said, can he forgive anyone? I went, yes, mate. He went, anybody? And I went, yes, mate. He said, can he forgive a Nazi who gassed Jews to death in a concentration camp then? 
in front of everyone. So I said, of course he can. Forgive anybody. And then he said, why, how does he do that then, my dear fellow? Or words to that effect. (laughs) And I got back in his face. He's a big, big guy. So I'm like, I close in a bit. And I said, well, it's like this. Well, it's like this. And I just did like a two-minute elevator pitch of the gospel. It's like this. Because <laughs> I'm all chipped up, you see. I'm chipped up evangelist. <laughs> like this. And, uh, and he span on his heel. His eyes all filled up with tears. And he span on his heel and walked out. Gasky comes over and he goes, in front of everyone, he's going, significant, very significant, significant, very significant. Significant conversation. Significant. I went, what's significant? He went, that significant, very significant. I went, what is it? He went, he's a terrorist. And what? I thought he could have told me that if I started prodding him in the chest, couldn't he? <laughs> what? He he's a terrorist in a safe house in Barrow on Saw. So now you know where they all are, don't you? All the safe houses are in Barrow on Saw. That's why we've never heard of it. Apart from one person. Why do you know about it? So that's the point. So, um,. So he says, yeah, he was, a, he was a Nazi terrorist arrested at gunpoint planting a pipe bomb. He said he would uh, attack people of other races, particularly had a penchant for sending death threats to you know, black people and homosexual people. And he's a very, very dangerous man. He's been in a safe house and I've, you know, he left the police gas. Part of his job was to work with him, trying to you know, preventative work. This guy's been hunted down by another Nazi terror cell, trying to kill him. Anyway, story goes. Next morning, this guy can't sleep. His name's Chris. Can't sleep. So he gets up the next morning. He's prowling the streets of Barrow on Saw. But the ferrets had never seen anything like it. This Nazi terrorist prowling the streets. And he finds the Baptist church open. And he walked into the Baptist church and the local Barrow and Saw Baptist pastors at his desk having his devotional time, writing a sermon or whatever's going off. And he literally walks in behind him without even knocking on the office door. <laughs> office door, study door. And he said, I heard about Jesus Christ last night. Is it true? <laughs> so, that is, you know. Turns out, thankfully, the Baptist pastor's a proper one, full of the spirit and the word of God tells him about Jesus and Chris gets on his knees and literally gets on his knees without even being asked and surrenders his life to Jesus Christ there and then but he's so powerfully converted the first person first few people he led to Christ one was a black man one was a Jewish guy one was a homosexual man he starts leading all these people who used to be sworn enemies who wanted to kill to Jesus Christ 18 months later, he speaks to thousands of kids on Holocaust Memorial Day about the love, grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ and the power of reconciliation under the cross. How about that? That is amazing, isn't it? That is like absolutely full on. I'll show you his picture. Look, this is him. I told you he was a big unit. I'm on tiptoes. That's Chris on the left. That bloke on the right is another guy who came out of a very, very troubled background. But his name is called is Graham Swan. Have you ever heard of Graham Swan, the cricketer? Yeah, well, Graham Swan, the cricketer, very famous cricketer. They put an advert out across Loughborough saying, come and hear the story of Graham Swan. Swan, he said, he got 500% oversubscribed. 
Because they all thought they were going to come out and hear Graham Swan the Cricketer. He said, but they didn't. They got Swanee the Tattoo Artist from Loughborough. <laughs> he said, but I gave him the gospel. But there he is. Look at the next picture. Next picture is uh, the guy on the left. Is <laughs> one of the blokes that tried to kill Chris from another terrorist group. Go to the next picture. His name's Ellis. Ellis, a month or so ago, about a month ago, gave his life to Jesus Christ. And now they're brothers in Christ. He said we were once sworn enemies hunting each other down. And now we're brothers in the Lord. Isn't that amazing? What a beautiful work of transformation Jesus can do. Only Jesus can do that. So you're now thinking, wow. Well, you might be thinking, wow. That must have been an amazing 10-minute Bible preach. No, it weren't. My talking barrow on saw wasn't all that. I'll tell you where the work was done. The work was done in Gasky. Because Gasky used to work with Chris. And everyone wanted Chris dead. He was a scumbag. Who, who loves a Nazi terrorist? But Gasky knew the grace of God, see. He knew what he'd been rescued from. And he just saw him as a person. One of God's beautiful people. He might outwardly be a terrorist, but he's not. He's one of God's beautiful creations who can be redeemed. That everyone can be redeemed. We have to live with that hope that God purposes that all people are saved. And Gasky lived it and he said, he's, like Chris said to me, Paul, he said, he loved me and he loved me and he loved me and he was always there for me. And nothing. I spat in his face, I swore in his face and he loved me and he loved me and he loved me. He said, and when I heard the message of Jesus, he said, it all came good. And I got on my knees and I surrendered my life to Christ. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Every contact leaves a trace. Do you know that? You know, there's a theory of forensic science by a man called Lockhart. My dad was a murder investigator for a while. He once arrested someone by the dirt in their turnips. That's old school detective work, isn't it? Because the dust in someone's turnips matched the dust at the scene. He arrested another person, just took the glasses off him once during an interview because he just saw something was not quite right about the glasses frame. There's the tiniest fragments of blood spatter in the glasses frame linking them to the crime. Wherever you go, whatever you touch, whatever you do leaves a contact. It is true physically, it is also true spiritually. These things have an effect under heaven. They really, really do. And what Gasky did was just massive and significant. So when you read this, this is not just like a practical list of you know, instructions. This has spiritual significance. They're about to go into battle for the souls of thousands of kids across this region. Dear God, let them come into churches that are full of people living an alternative kingdom lifestyle. We all have to find ways to live it. You know, I, um, I, for a very short time, I had a sports car. It was because we were doing a filming project and uh, we got funded to have what was called a GT86 built by Toyota, low slung, very low slung sports car. And um, I had it for a while, it was great fun. And then I was going five miles an hour, maybe four miles an hour, down the road near my house, quarter of a mile from my house. And uh, it was raining, dark, near Christmas. I was a bit distracted, looking out the window, traffic moved off, looked out the window again, I heard a crunching noise. And I drove at four or five miles an hour into a car in front of me. The car in front of me was a 1989 Vauxhall Nova that was built like a tank with a huge rubber bumper. It was worth about, you know, the value of a Twix, this car that I crashed into. I got out the car and I knocked on the window, she ran the window down and uh, she went, what did you do that for? 
went, oh, Merry Christmas. So I'm very sorry about that. I said, honestly, it's my fault completely. I wasn't, I wasn't looking. And I, she said, well, let's look at the damage. So we went back to the cars, and uh, I turned the torch on my iPhone. And she, she looked at it, and she sort of smiled. She said, well, that worked out well for you, is it? Or to that effect. Because my car, a sports car, the front was built of polythene, basically. And her car is quite high. And my car had literally gone underneath, slowly under her bumper. And the whole front of my car like, folded up into something resembling a pterodactyl. So I had like a, a sculpture on the front of my car. And she went, there's nothing wrong with my car. So it's covered in damage anyway. Like, there's nothing. She was a bit smug about it, actually. So there's no damage on my car. It's fine. It was really rusty and horrible. And, you know, I said, well, do you agree with that? There's no damage on your car. She said, yes. We swapped numbers and anyway, just in case. And I didn't hear anything for, for a while. We're getting near Christmas now. And uh, about 10 weeks, two week, 10 days, two weeks after the event, I get a text message. The text message says this. I've had my car professionally assessed. And there's about 400 to 500 pounds worth of damage on my 1989 Vauxhall Nova. Do you know what voices started to come back in me at this point? She said, but if you give me 150 pounds today... 100 pounds, she said, sorry, today, we'll forget all about it. Give me 100 quid cash or check, we'll forget all about it. Now, I am from Romford. I may be a man of God, I may be full of the Spirit and live in the Beatitudes, but I also spot a scam. I'm an Essex boy. And everything in me starts to get all twisted up inside. Right? I, you know, because God's given me a gift of my mind to my mouth. I can, I can use words. Do you know what I mean? I, I used to be a salesman. I could, I could just go in there and just really do a number and I thought, and win this argument and I know she's trying to rip me off. I put myself in a corner, gave myself a little talking to, which is what you always got to do. Get rid of the nye voice. You think, I've got to respond kingdom here. Come on, Father. What have I got to do? I wrote a check out for £150. My checkbook at the time said, Reverend Carl Beach. So I drove around there in a pterodactyl and I knocked on the door and I said, can I just apologise again for the inconvenience and hitting your car? Her car, actually, it didn't look damaged at all. I pulled up beside it, just looked just look like an old car. I said, so I'll put a bit of extra money on there because I just want to bless you. Handed a cheque. She said, bless me. When, yeah, I run a Christian charity, you know, I run a church and you know, I try and live my life differently and I just, I want to apologise. So I know it's inconvenient, you're going to have to get some work done. So, it, you know, I made it 150 quid. She opened a cheque and she saw Reverend Cole Beach. I saw her, look at it. And at that moment, you know, what I wanted to say to her, and if you steal from a man of God, you could be struck down by like <laughs> Everything in me. I really had to wind my neck in. Everything in me was like, oh, don't, don't. Anyway, so, hand her a cheque. And I drove off and I thought, there's no way she's going to cash it. She's going to be overcome by the grace of God. That is the thing. I've, just, I've had a massive kingdom victory. The angels are now rejoicing. There's a party in heaven over the work of this grace that I've just done. It's going to change the spiritual temperature in Chesterfield. That's, that's what you're thinking of. Massively significant. My church is going to hit revival because of 150 quid. She's not going to cash it. She did. I reckon that afternoon, because it cleared three days after the bank holiday from Christmas, 
But here's what I thought. It was worth the risk. It was worth the risk. Because two scenarios are going to play out in that sort of situation. It's only going to go one or two ways. You either fight it or you outgrace it. And if you fight it, this is what happens. She moves one day from Chesterfield to Coventry. Here's a hypothetical situation. She comes and moves here. And you're doing Alpha or some outreach thing or hire, whatever it is. And one of, she bumps into one of you guys or she ends up working with one of you. And you invite her to come to this thing that you're doing, some concert or event. But, but in the background, I was this horrible bloke. She thinks, oh, I met a Christian once and he was an animal. He was a pig. Like, he really upset me. Like, yeah, I tried to rip him off, but what a nasty bloke. You know, I've got 100 quid in my pocket still. But what a nasty man. That's one response. But actually, you know what's going to happen now if she moves to Coventry and works with one of you guys and you're invited to an event? Do you know what I've done? And it's a lot of fun. It's worth 150 quid. Do you know what I've done? I've put a gospel stone in her shoe. She is limping. You know those little stones you get in your shoe? Like, you can't find them. They, like, go under the sole and then they come back out again. You're walking on, you're like, ugh. And you take your shoe off. And you can't find it. You put your shoe on, it's come back again. That's what I've done to her. Except the stone is Jesus. Now she's walking along with a gospel limp. It's all part of it. I've done the gasky thing. I've lived with an opposite spirit. And we have all got to find ways to do that. I remember another time when I was away on the road and I was building a, a climbing frame for roses. Here's a surprise. I like flowers and watercolour painting. How about that? You didn't know that from my accent, did you? But I like doing that. And uh, I, lent, I left this thing leaning up against a fence. And my neighbour, who's a bit of a grumpy bloke and slightly strange, he went off and went on Karen. Came around, knocked on the door, shouted and screamed in her face about me building a, a shed or garage in the back garden, <laughs> towering over the fence. And, and it just literally made my wife cry and she phoned me up. And so for three days I was plotting my revenge on the road. I'm preaching the gospel full of anger. I'm like, I preach the gospel, I have a laugh and then go, and I'm going to get my neighbour. <laughs> going to get my neighbour. So I was like driving around thinking, oh, how dare he. When I got home three days later, I parked the car up and I walked through the back of the house. And literally I was just going to walk straight through. Hello, Karen. Hello, kids. Hello, dog. Hello, cat. Go straight around to the neighbour and have it out with him. As I'm walking through the house, the Holy Spirit intercepts me. And he says to me, for the love, are you, today? No, not really. So tell what I did. Give it to heaven. Put yourself in a corner. Open a cupboard. Find a packet of Mr. Kipling cakes. Pink ones. Fondant fancies. Took them round to my neighbour. Knocked on the door. Opens the door and he's ready for a fight. I said, I'll come round with some cake. I said, I understand you're upset about the climbing rose frame. He went, what? He says, a climbing, it's a frame for climbing roses. He went, oh, that sounds quite nice. When it will be. So I thought you were building a garage. I went, no, it's trellis. It's going to be nothing. And then I said to him, are you okay? How are you? And he went, terrible actually. I was suffering with my health. Wife's in that hospital. Big problems with one of my kids, but it's strange for one of my sons. He said, everything's getting on top of me. I said, how about we have a cup of tea? Mr. Kipling, pink, fun and fancy. 
and have a chat about it and the whole situation changed. Do you know what that's called? It's called living with an opposite spirit. Counter-cultural response to every situation. The flesh rises up, but we give it to heaven. We are the people who respond differently. We are the redeemed. We're the people of God. Every single person is rescuable. Every single person is, can be redeemed. Every scenario can be redeemed. Do you believe that? Because it really can. I've seen these situations turn around time and time and time again. When I get the opposite spirit... When I decide to change, when I see what is of the flesh in me, and then when people come in here and they notice how different you are, or in your work interactions, or in the way you lead your family, or the way anyone interacts with you at work, and they say, what's different about you? Because they will. Because they will. Because that has been said to me many times when I was working in banking. or When I really get a grip on this, people say, what is it? You say this, if you see anything good in me. He's only because of one who is far greater than me, working in my life called Jesus Christ. I'd love to tell him about it. I'd love to tell you about him because he's the one who brings a change, isn't he? He is the one who brings a change. He's the one who brought the change in Chris and in Ellis. He's the one who brings a change in you. And he's the one who will bring the change in your neighbour or your family member. And I guarantee you there'll be people sitting in today who are having a tough time with someone at work or a tough time with someone in their family or a tough time with a close friend. I absolutely guarantee you this morning feel it more in this meeting than I did in the last one I guarantee you there'll be people sitting there who've got an issue like that I'll tell you you give it to heaven have the opposite spirit be prepared to take a battering and the Lord will bless you because I tell you it pleases the Lord because exactly what Jesus did for us took the whole burden for us didn't he so why don't we just suck it up and give it to heaven and live with an opposite spirit you're up for that because that is an adventure. That is an adventure. God will bless you. And I'll tell you this. If you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus and you think, oh, that sounds like, oh, what a, that is the, I need that peace. I want to live like that. Well, you can. All you need to do is step towards him. All you need to do is step towards Christ. And only Jesus in my experience, can make you the woman or man that you know you need to be. Only Jesus Christ can take you there. I know I'm a massive work in progress. But you know what? My mum and dad, who are still not believers to this day, and highly cynical, only a month ago, they're nearly 80 now, only a month ago, turned around to me and said, we have watched you. We have watched. Since I was 18, I'm now 45. We now think it's your faith. That is making you the person that you are. And now I'll give my dad the Tim Keller book, and my mum's got some stuff and sent him some literature. It's been all those years of living it out in front of him. He pleases the Lord. It might be a long term thing, but he will bless you. So you hang in there if you're praying for your family or your friends. You keep living the life, keep living the life, and God, God will do it. And I pray that one day I'll come back in and say, Remember, I told you about my mum and dad? They're in! We're all in and that song we're singing about eternity sure. Don't you want to go to heaven and look around and not just me be there, but you're there and your mates are there and your family members. There's a whole bunch of us having a party in heaven. It'd be like we woke up from a dream because now we're really alive. Now we're with Christ and we're truly alive. You want that? I want that. Let's go to heaven with a whole bunch of people with us. Why don't we stand together and let's give this to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't we worship in response? And as you're worshiping, give that situation to the Lord, that person you want to reach out to.
that thing you need the opposite spirit for, if you've not reacted that way, you simply say, sorry, Father, give me the strength to live a new life this time around. Help me to have a new way about this situation. If you don't know who Jesus is, there'll be people who love to pray with you. I could tell you, we could introduce you to Jesus today and your life would change beyond recognition. Thank you, Father. It's part of your spirit we pray in its closing moments. Be very present, we ask. Be very present now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all you've done for us. Help us, dear God, to live full on for you in a way that pleases you every day as your ambassadors with an opposite spirit. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.